Greetings, fellow Earthlings. Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing with Dave. Seeking the truth, exposing the lies. Remember, together, we are unstoppable. Keep on digging. Greetings, fellow Earthlings. Welcome to a podcast with me, Dave, and another thing, and Travis. We're going to be talking about what is next for the U.S. of A. Hashtag red pill another one from 2010 the cia drugs and funding dirty wars the public is not aware of a lot of things uh and then another one secrets of the cia's final days in vietnam uh, and these go way back so the, the one about vietnam that's from 1985 um but it's just it's unbelievable it's jaw-dropping information and a lot of it it great sources, right? So you've either got investigative journalists that are speaking about this, an author who has done research for a book on the topic, and in a lot of cases, you have ex-CIA uh, employees, officials that are speaking out, uh, you know, speaking about what they personally did. Uh, John Stockwell is a prime example of that. He talks about things that he witnessed firsthand or that he took part in. Uh, so unbelievable. The yeah. level, right? Uh, now, you since you brought up Vietnam, uh, Vietnam made me think of one thing I also I have written down that I wanted to talk about. Uh, back in Vietnam, this hadn't been used since Vietnam, but it got uh, brought back to life after 9-11, uh, was an act called the uh, Stop Loss Act. Um, for those who aren't as familiar with it, you may have heard it uh, referred to as the backdoor draft. Um, pretty much what that did was if you were to sign up for the military, um, you get your standard contract for active duty, how long you'll be serving uh, and doing tours and stuff like that for them for your basic job. But then there's this pretty much, for lack of better terms, a silent year setting for if for any reason that they decide that they need you, they'll call you in. Because right now, the one thing from really ever since, especially since Vietnam, but the one thing that will pretty much be the uh, anchor that just sinks you politically, reinstating the draft. Nobody, nobody wants to touch that. Everybody is terrified because they know the moment somebody sets out and says um, we're having a draft and they issue one, their political career is dead and probably along with the party that uh, they're affiliated with. So the backdoor draft allows for them to be able to call those people back in. So you had a lot of people who had been fresh out uh, all of a sudden get uh, reluctantly to come and serve uh, for not alone. Some of them were excited because they saw this and they were just pissed about what had happened and they wanted a piece of the action. Uh, but you had a lot of people who did not want to be in on this that were forced against their will to be in on there. You also had it affect people where, um certain tours of duty would be getting uh extended so people would be getting ready to go back home from the end of a tour and then all of a sudden you're here congratulations another eight another eight months another 16 months um and this affected a lot of soldiers psychologically psychologically um i mean I, I believe i don't have the stats of believe we had the highest suicide rate in this um uh, war on terror than we did in uh, Vietnam, but it did to these people. 
Um, but then we also had uh, expansion of duties. Um, so much we had 20% of our military doing 80% of the work uh, being special forces. So special forces were reserved for people with like special language skills, have gone through extensive training to be able to go and uh, work with people and cultures that they otherwise would not be able to have your standard infantrymen be able to do um, and uh, arrange for them to go uh, cancel Christmas as it were. Um, but now all of a sudden they get expanded to do the basic infantry work. Um, but it also expanded to things like um, the National Guard, which was pretty much reserved as your strategic um, stay and defend the motherland. Um, so if you had things like, for instance, Hurricane Katrina, your National Guard might be called in. I remember when they were calling it Snowpocalypse around, I want to say, 2000. 13 under i think it was the beginning of obama's second uh for east coast like for about two months we just got hammered with ice storms and snowstorms uh i i remember i have been off of work for a little over a month just because we couldn't get anywhere and so we had national guard that will come out and they'll take care of you but god forbid if there's some sort of a local terrorist attack uh the city's under fire like how it was over uh, the summer of 2020, a lot of National Guard should have been called in. That wasn't. But you have uh, stuff like that that they were on reserve for. And now all of a sudden, they're being pulled off over to go fight a war on terror. And these people aren't prepared to go. And they're prepared to go and be serving at home. That's a lot why a lot of them pick the Guard or the Air Guard. And now all of a sudden, they're going over there and they're fighting a war at a country and a continent that they have never been familiar with about stuff that they are completely unprepared for. And uh, it affected a lot of them because when you're National Guard, you don't really have that much of a readjustment uh, time because you're serving your local community. You're still going to college. You're still having times with your buddies and stuff like that. You still have your heavy civilian life versus all of a sudden you are jarred out all of a sudden you know, into the Middle East and you're gone 16 months at a time come back and then you know you've just been shot at you've seen some of your buddies get blown up and uh a lot of them just a lot of people were not ready for that when they saw that uh quote uh from robert gates who was defense secretary from 2006 to 2011 uh he said when they reinstated the uh, stop loss or also known as backdoor draft uh quote this recognizes that our forces are stretched there is no question about that. So it, it was us basically saying, we are not prepared to be able to go and fight this war. We don't have the numbers there, and therefore we're trying to skirt around it about using the draft. John Kerry had also brought that up when he was uh, going against Bush on uh, Bush's reelection. Um, the other thing I wanted to also point out on top of that is um, you have people like uh, Navy or Air Force who typically would not be uh, infantry personnel going door to door, kicking doors in and performing operations like that, all of a sudden going and having to do stuff that the army and the Marines were doing. Uh, so it, it, it screamed, we're not ready for this. And, uh, you had people fulfilling job roles that they were never meant to fulfill. And so a lack of training, not that they didn't give them good training there, but as compared to someone who was trained in the army for this or who was trained in the Marines for this versus you go in completely mentally prepared as an airman or as a seaman in the Navy 
and then you're done being off of a ship or you're done uh, doing some sort of fly or working satellite and now all of a sudden you're a door kicker. Um, so if you ever see out on there, they have uh, memes that say you're like, well, uh, I do uh, one of uh, one of a lot of them is uh, drivers. I, I forget the actual job title for them. It depends uh, branch to branch on how they have it listed. Uh, but they say, oh, I'm basically infantry because they would just have them delivering troops, but then also going and doing runs for that. So that's what I have on there as far as uh, big changes for our military, as far as like the actual uh, men and women that serve. That was the jolt over there, the ones that we don't normally see, but it affected and changed our military big time. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, thank you for mentioning the veteran suicide rates. That's it's harrowing. And what that's an indication of is that these people were doing things in battle that were morally incomprehensible and morally damaging to the point where that that rotted them from the inside to the point of them taking themselves out once they got home. I pulled up an article about this. <clears throat> this is uh, from allthingsinteresting.com slash veterans-suicide. Uh, more US veterans have committed suicide in the last decade than died in the Vietnam War. Uh, and this was published by Marco Margaritoff, checked by John Kurowski, published November 11th, 2019, uh, and updated May 2021. Since 2008, more than 60,000 U.S. veterans have taken their own lives with more than half of those deaths via firearms. Um, when soldiers return home from war, they may feel that the worst is over. They made it back alive and are, are now free from the fear of dying in combat. The reality, however, is much more complicated and alarming. More U.S. veterans have committed suicide between 2008 and 2017 than the number of U.S. soldiers that died during the entire Vietnam War. Let me say that again. During the entire Vietnam War. According to the defense news site military.com, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs shared these alarming rates in a September 2019 report. The U.S. suffered around 58,000 fatalities over the course of the Vietnam War, which lasted from 1955 to 1975. This number has now been eclipsed by more than 60,000 U.S. veteran suicides in a recent span of just 10 years. More than 6,000 veterans committed suicide every year during that time frame, despite the fact that the total number of veterans declined by 18%. The statistic serves as a stark reminder that soldiers need mental health treatment just as much as medical care for their physical injuries. The VA's 2019 National Veteran Suicide Prevention Annual Report also revealed that more than half of these veterans committed suicide via firearm. Female veterans used guns 43.2% of the time, while male veterans did so 70.7% of the time. The rate of veteran suicide continues to increase with each and every passing year. In the worst year on record, 6,139 veterans killed themselves in 2017. Oh my God, that, that chokes me up, bro. Yeah. Wow. Let me... Uh, uh, 
Let me pull it back with a, a personal story here. Um, I uh, worked at a manufacturing uh, from 2011 to 2013. And uh, there was this one guy there uh, named Rob. Uh, and he was a ranger who had served uh, during the height of uh, the uh, war on terror. Um, and he, he was now part-time but also full-time recruiter because he just wanted to be in the military still but what happened to him was uh he was doing a mission and uh, this is some of the stuff that unfortunately our vets had to deal with um i'll start off by saying this bullets don't discriminate which is why no matter who has a gun whether it's a male or a female or a child or somebody who is in their late 60s, 70s or whatever, when you pull the trigger, if the gun's loaded, you know, that bullet's leaving and it's going the direction of wherever it's pointing. So you're unfortunately put in an ugly predicament. But yep. he was uh, left in a, a situation where they all of a sudden heard gunshots fire and uh immediately uh people started running taking cover and uh uh an ak-47 round uh went and hit his shin bone directly and uh completely uh, for those of you who are like me who like watching things like the ufc you might be familiar with anderson silver chris wyman or most recently conor mcgregor getting their yeah. bone snapped he had his completely shattered um oh. from that and so with the threat of his life being taken, seeing the person that had just shot his leg and have having uh, the rifle pointed back down on him, he drew his sidearm and uh, fired several shots, killing the person. And uh, once he was able to hob over there with one leg, um, found out that it was a boy, probably 12 or 13 years old. And so unfortunately, some of these are boys are people who didn't want to do this, but they're like, if you don't go and pretty much work with the Taliban or work with Al Qaeda, um, we're going to kill your family. And so some of them would be pretty much kind of blackmailed into just like how we have here in gangs in uh, the United States don't want to necessarily join a gang, but find themselves in a sticky predicament where you might have to join a gang. Some of them have just been you know, you have 70% there that is just radicalized uh, to a lot of these places in Afghanistan uh, and Iraq. And of course, having our troops over there only pour fuel on that fire because they say, see, we told you, you know, these white devil Americans, they're coming over. And so that pours, full on the, uh, pours a lot of fuel on that number. So you have also young boys sometimes doing it. But mentally, that wrecks you when you just go and you pull the trigger and you have to kill a boy and you're going to meet your end as well. Uh, so that causes a lot, stuff like that just causes a lot of vets to commit suicide. But on top of um, another uh, epidemic that's causing people to take their lives and another change that uh, was brought to the U.S. after 9-11, heroin. Um, because we were got into this uh, nation-building state of things Um Mostly, it started a little bit in the first term, but it took off big time during uh, Bush's second term with uh, nation building on, well, we can't just leave and have things go back to the way they were. For those of you who can't understand what I'm saying, see our recent uh, pullout of Afghanistan and what that looked like. Um, so their idea was, let's do nation building, which absolutely should not have been 
a thing. But they wanted to go and they had this idea that, oh, you know, a common phrase you'll hear is um, win the hearts and minds of the Iraqi people or win the hearts and minds of the Afghani people. Well, that was ended up being a big waste and uh, all for nothing. But one of the things we did is, well, we can't have them uh, growing cotton because that's uh, we kind of have that dutied out to other countries, including us. But uh, we can let them grow poppy. So we would have soldiers guarding poppy seeds, poppy fields, and eventually that stuff would go and circle its way right on back over into the U.S., where a lot of uh, soldiers would be partaking in that. And then that stuff just brought in right through the border is uh, a main way. But also we've had people being flying it in through other countries and stuff. You can see other – there's plenty of documentaries about stuff with the CIA helping fund uh, drug wars and pretty much bringing drugs into the U.S. and then going, look at all these people hooked on drugs, and then therefore we need a bigger police state here. So, yeah, um, for those of you who don't know, pretty much that was the start of um, the heroin epidemic over in the U.S., and um, we used our tax dollars to pay troops to guard poppy fields that would ultimately go and bring about a lot of people's crippling addictions. Uh, it's, it's, I've known people who have been hooked on that stuff. It's sad. It's absolutely, it makes you just hate. I love my country, but there's just some things that we've done. We're not perfect. Nobody is. And uh, there's some stains on our history that are uh, darker than others. And that's one of them. Yeah, well, that was, oh my God, it's such a great point. Uh, and to pull back the lens a little bit so that, that you know, once again, that that uh, channel on YouTube, the best film archives, they go into how the CIA makes money smuggling drugs and has for a long time and mm -hmm. how it's one, one of the oldest tricks in the book for, for an empire to raise money illicitly that they don't have to account for. They don't have to go to Congress and ask for that money. And, you know, this was uh, the prime example of this was the Iran-Contra affair, where I believe it was the Sandinistas. Well, anyway, the Sandinistas and the Contras were fighting in Nicaragua. Congress wanted to fund one side of it to fight against a democratically elected socialist government going in. Congress voted no against funding it. So the CIA under George Bush Sr. decided that they would smuggle cocaine into the United States to fund that war illegally. This all got outed when a CIA plane was shot down in Nicaragua, and then the case was blown wide open. Um, I'll pull up uh, the details to that. I believe it was uh, Mena, Arkansas, 1995 is the documentary on YouTube that really breaks that down. But then you're referring to, uh, you're referring to uh, cocaine in the 80s, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and the birth of the crack epidemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so but then bringing that current, you know, uh, under the Taliban in Afghanistan, opium production had was was greatly reduced. And then here's a, a headline I just pulled up um, reassessing U.S. counter and counter narcotic strategy. Opium production in Afghanistan has skyrocketed since the U.S. military teamed with the Central Intelligence Agency and Afghanistan's Northern Alliance in toppling the Taliban in 2001, with Afghanistan now supplying 92% of the world's illicit opium. And 
the the relevance here is now producing right so before the leading uh, producer of opium in the world was a region called the golden triangle which was laos cambodia and thailand right next to vietnam for you know for decades that had been the world's leading producer right so funny how the vietnam war went on so long huh mm -hmm. could be a tie there then as soon as our military gets to Afghanistan, oh, now Afghanistan takes over as the world's leading producer. So more than a little suspect, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and I'll uh, add on to another note on that. This whole uh, shenanigans from CIA and other three-letter agencies uh, as far as what they do with drugs, this all the way goes back to right when uh, marijuana became illegal um, to for a while. You used to be able to smoke it uh, during the prohibition, even although during the prohibition, more people still their drug of choice was booze. It, you know, people love to drink, especially when times are rough. Um, but people were able to smoke back then uh, became officially illegal. Well, they made certain contingencies on, okay, well, here's how you can do it legally until eventually it just became, yeah, it's illegal. It was kind of their, for lack of better words, their backdoor way of making it illegal was you had to have a certain license uh, to be able to have marijuana, grow marijuana and distribute it. But to have that license, you had to have the plant first. And so people would go to and they would say, well, you don't have the plant there if you need to be able to bring that back with us to uh, get that license. So people who are already growing, people already had stashes of it, would go grab the plant, bring it back with it. But because you didn't have the license when you brought it, well, you just came up forward with uh, drug information. Uh, I'm not drug information, drug possession uh, right. and reason to believe that you're going to distribute. You're under arrest. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that that pretty much is right where that begins as far as uh, drug stuff goes with uh, little agencies playing dirty little tricks. But yeah, they go and they'll play it right on their own uh, people left and right, and they don't care about uh, really the effect. So this dates back oh, almost, not quite, but almost 100 years ago from when they've been doing this. It's this just the moment there's a new drug out on the market ring a bell anybody but uh the moment there's a new drug on it you know they just keep you know rinse recycle repeat with the same trick it, it, it does not change exactly and um for anybody interested in looking a bit a little of the history on this look up the opium wars um england went to war with china to force them to take to accept imports of of opium and china had outlawed it because the majority of their population was addicted but you know england said oh hell no you will accept this crop because we're making good money on it yeah fascinating yeah it's um, unbelievable i want to pull back a little bit to just referring back to 9 11. have you heard uh travis of operation northwoods i have heard of it i'm not as familiar with it so here's a great little article I, I pulled up, and this is by ABC News, amazingly enough, um, giving a, just a little glimpse of what it was. Basically, it was, a, it, it was a plan that was brought to President Kennedy by the Joint Chiefs of Staff 
they had all signed off on it. Meaning okay. they were yeah, all, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they yeah, were all ready to go with it. And and Kennedy said, oh, hell no, you must be out of your mind. But so the attack this, on uh, U.S. soil? Yeah. Going in? Yep. Yep. This would have been 9-11 in the 60s. So mm-hmm. uh, U.S. military wanted to provoke war with Cuba by David Rupp, January 7th, 2006. New York, May 1st, 2001. In the early 1960s, America's top military leaders reportedly drafted plans to kill innocent people and commit acts of terrorism in U.S. cities to create public support for a war against Cuba. Codenamed Operation Northwoods, the plan remained, excuse me, the plans reportedly included the possible assassination of Cuban emigres, sinking boats of Cuban refugees on the high seas, hijacking planes, blowing up a U.S. ship, and even orchestrating violent terrorism in U.S. cities. The plans were developed as a way to trick the American public and the international community into supporting a war to oust Cuba's then new leader, communist Fidel Castro. America's top military brass even contemplated causing U.S. military casualties, writing, we could blow up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blame Cuba. And casualty lists in U.S. newspapers would cause a helpful wave of national indignation. Details of the plan are described in Body of Secrets, Doubleday, Doubleday Books, I guess, a new book by investigative reporter James Barnford about the history of America's largest spy agency, the National Security Agency, the NSA. However, the plans were not uh, connected to the agency, he notes. The plans had written, had the written approval of all of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and were presented to President Kennedy's Defense Secretary, Robert McNamara, in March 1962 but they apparently were rejected by the civilian leadership and have gone undisclosed for nearly 40 years. These, uh, these were Joint Chiefs of Staff documents. The reason these were held secret for so long is the Joint Chiefs never wanted to give these up because they were so embarrassing, Barnford told abcnews.com. The whole point of a democracy is to have leaders responding to the public will And here is the complete reverse, the military trying to trick the American public into war that they did not want, but nobody else into a war that they want, but nobody else wants. Gunning for war. The documents show the Joint Chiefs of Staff drew up and approved plans for what may be the most corrupt plan ever created by the U.S. government, writes Barnford. The Joint Chiefs even proposed using the potential death of astronaut John Glenn during the first attempt to put an American into orbit as a false pretext for war with Cuba, the documents show. Should the rocket explode and kill Glenn, they wrote, the objective is to provide irrevocable proof that the fault lies with the communist at all Cuba. The plans were motivated by an intense desire among senior military leaders to depose Castro, who seized power in 1959 to become the first communist leader in the Western Hemisphere, only 90 minutes, 90 miles from U.S. shores. The earlier CIA-backed Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba by Cuban exiles had been a disastrous failure in which the military was not allowed to provide firepower. The military military leaders now wanted a shot at it. 
The whole thing was so bizarre, says Barnford, noting public and international support would be needed for an invasion, but apparently neither the American public nor the Cuban public wanted to see U.S. troops deployed to drive out Castro. Unreal, right? That echoes something happening today. Um, for those of you who aren't paying as close attention to what's happening over in Ukraine, um, one of the things that came out early, early into this uh, as the uh, continuation of the invasion started off in February was uh, unwanted information got leaked out. They weren't quite ready for this yet, but that there were bio labs uh, over in Ukraine. And you know they didn't want it leaked out because they tried to say, no, there are no U.S. bio labs over there. And we're like, well, we didn't say U.S. bio labs. We just said that there were labs over there and then right. so then they kind of like walk it back like kind of like if you were to be like uh, like if i were to like run over your dog or something accidentally driving down the highway and you're like oh i can't find my dog i'm like well i i've seen your golden retriever like how'd you know i have a golden retriever well i don't know but i definitely wouldn't look on 83 south around mile marker 32 <laughs> but I mean, that's exactly. kind of basically you know uh, except for with dire stakes involved uh what's going on and then um ah what's his face rubio marco rubio yeah. i forget the lady that he was um interviewing but they were talking about these biolabs and eventually was saying these i'm getting a little of myself the biolabs went from well they're not u.s biolabs okay they're u.s biolabs but they're just level two like food grade safety labs okay we believe though that they might have information on deadly pathogens and disease that they could weaponize to yeah there's definitely that stuff in there so we we might right. be staring down possibly we all just got out of this pandemic unless if you're in a far more blue state then you're probably still quote unquote stuck in a pandemic which you're probably just stuck under government tyranny but um yeah and so uh rubio was pretty much the way he was saying it and like nodding his head to this woman and he goes so let me get this straight you're saying that um if there was any sort of a pandemic to be leaked out this would only be uh russia using uh bio uh bio weapons correct and she's like we don't know i mean for sure there's a lot of things that could and then so he repitches it to her and he goes so what you're telling me though is you're certain that if there was to be another sort of a pandemic louise that there is no doubt in your mind that this was an act of the Russians using the biolabs in there, correct? And then he just kind of like nodding his head with her and he's like, it, it was obvious like, hey, I'm trying to pretty much, you know, the question behind the question, like guiding you into what we want you to say. And she goes, correct. And he goes, okay, thank you. So these yeah. these feeding her the response that he wants. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now is when something happens. It's like okay, well, we already have uh, the groundwork laid out and uh, justification for it. So now all, all we have to do is pretty much wait for that. So they're uh, they're uh, that's probably, in all honesty, uh, a factor that will come into play here soon. I'm sure. 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of And Another Thing with Dave. If you're digging what I'm doing, picking up what I'm throwing down, please do share with friends and on social media. Until next time, keep on digging for the truth.